0: Welcome to this week's Church Society podcast. I'm Ros Clark. I'm the Associate Director of Church Society. And as I was thinking about what I wanted to talk about in this episode, I have given it the title what I did last week. Uh, I feel slightly like I've gone back to primary school and I'm being asked to write an essay about what did I do last week. But hopefully uh, there will be something of interest in this uh, and you'll see how this all links together at the end. So what did I do last week? So this is the week beginning, Sunday the 6th of February. So I guess by the time you hear this, it will be what I did two weeks ago. Uh, I was in London. I went down on the Sunday to attend a confirmation service at Christchurch Cockfosters. One of my godsons was being confirmed and it was really lovely for me to hear him articulate his faith uh, publicly in that way. But it was lovely because the Bishop of Maidstone was taking that confirmation and I've seen him do confirmations in a number of churches around the country. And I know he thinks of it as one of the really significant parts of his ministry. It's a chance for him to visit a lot of the resolution parishes uh, and to get to know ordinary people in those churches a little bit. You'll have heard by now, I'm sure, that uh, Rod Thomas will be retiring as Bishop of Maidstone later this year. And work is already underway, uh, consulting uh, about uh, the appointment process for his uh, replacement or possibly replacements. I am certainly praying that we may uh, get more than one complementarian evangelical bishop. Uh, The work that Rod has done has really demonstrated just how big that constituency is, with parishes around the country uh, representing a total congregation of the size of a medium-sized diocese. Most dioceses have uh, a diocesan bishop and two or three suffragan bishops, as well as a whole host of other staff. Of course, the Bishop of Maidstone doesn't quite have the same administrative responsibilities as those dioceses. Uh, but nonetheless, I think it would be appropriate to recognise uh, that he is doing the work of more than one bishop at the moment. So do you pray uh, for that. On Monday, in fact, I was uh, part of a meeting discussing uh, some of that. And then on Tuesday, uh, I went into central London for three days of General Synod. We began with a, a lunch hosted by Church Society before Synod officially began. And it was just so great uh, to have chance to meet uh, many of those Church Society members who are on General Synod and also a number of others who are... Uh, part of the complementarian evangelical group uh, on Synod, uh, some of whom have already signed up for membership as a result. Uh, so that was great. But we also had Lee Gatis, our director, come down and and speak to us uh, as we went into Synod, reminding us that our work was not in vain, encouraging us to stand firm even amongst opposition uh, Yeah just great uh, as we thought about how some of what goes on at Synod uh, is unseen and unvalued and may even seem to those of us on Synod a bit fruitless Um, but nonetheless God sees it and values it and it is part of contending for the gospel in the Church of England. So it's really great to have that encouragement as we began and this time Synod uh, once again, I suppose I would say, had, had quite a number of non-controversial motions. We discussed racial justice, for example, uh, and there was a unanimous vote uh, on the issues that had been raised that we agreed that the Church of England did need to do more about racial justice. There was a motion that had come from my diocese, Lichfield, which had begun in a deanery synod. uh, Somebody who had gone to that and said, I think as a church, we need to be doing more to recognise and support our brothers and sisters around the world in the persecuted church. That motion had been brought from the deanery synod up to the diocesan synod. And the diocesan synod had voted in favour of putting it forward as a motion for general synod to debate. I think that's really exciting that somebody at that local level, a PCC member or a deanery synod rep, can uh, put forward a motion that makes it all the way through to general synod, uh, where representatives of the national church vote on it. Uh, We put that motion forward, I think, some four or five years ago. It does take a while to get through the system. And ours was even brought forward uh, before we were expecting it to come up because it is one of the issues that they are due to discuss at the Lambeth conference later this year. There was an amendment which somebody had put forward to the motion, and it was a really good amendment, making uh, the calls for action a bit more concrete and recommending some resources that could be used. Do look out for those. We were shown a leaflet, or certainly I was shown a leaflet, I don't know if everyone in General Synod was shown that, that had been produced by Southwark Diocese to be used during the, the Thy Kingdom Come Uh, prayer time between Pentecost and Ascension. I think that's when it happens. Anyway, it was a really great leaflet full of um, good ideas of ways of helping particularly children and families to connect with the persecuted church. There were activities like trying to hide your Bible um, because in some countries people have to keep their Bibles hidden uh, because that would be something that would put them at risk uh, of arrest. Um, so it was, I thought it was a good leaflet. And I think if you come across it, I would certainly recommend taking a look at that. And, you know, we do believe, don't we, in, in caring for and supporting and praying for our brothers and sisters in the persecuted church. So when that's a thing that the Church of England is encouraging us to do, why wouldn't we want to get involved with that? Um, as I say, there were a number of those sorts of motions where. It was easy to agree with everybody and it was really great to hear some evangelicals uh, and some church society members amongst those speaking up in Synod, telling stories of what was going on in their church. Uh, there was one wonderful story from a representative from the Diocese of Blackburn talking about how they had been uh, teaching in their Sunday school about the persecuted church and and their children had Uh, been able to make contact with and and support, uh, I guess, through some organisation, a child whose father uh, was a a pastor and had been killed for his faith. And so their Sunday school children were able to write to his son uh, to tell him that they were praying for him, uh, that Jesus still loved him, and encouraged that boy to keep going in his own Christian faith, even after he'd seen what had happened to his father We heard stories uh, of congregations in this country welcoming refugees who'd been persecuted for their faith from Iran and um, uh, other countries as well around the world. So some of those debates, it's not so much people disagreeing, it's just really great to hear the stories that are told of what people and churches and even dioceses are doing uh, to support those things. Our Lichfield motion was also passed unanimously, which was a really uh, great uh, way to end the sort of last um, debate of that kind during the synod week. Other motions that came through proved to be surprisingly controversial. There was a motion put forward surrounding um, faculty jurisdiction If you've ever been on a PCC or you're a church warden, you'll know how applying for a faculty can be a a real headache. Faculties are what are needed uh, in the Church of England system if a church is planning to make any substantial changes to its buildings and fittings and so on. You have to have a faculty if you want to put up a new notice board outside or if you want to Put in a disabled toilet or whatever it is, you have to get a faculty to make any changes to the fixtures uh, and buildings of your church. So, the particular issue where this came to a head in Synod was regarding the replacement of a boiler. Now, obviously, if your boiler breaks, you need a new boiler. At the moment, you have to apply for a faculty to get your new boiler, and that can take A significant amount of time while your congregation are standing freezing in church on a Sunday morning. So the proposal was to remove that requirement to get a faculty because obviously you're going to get a new boiler. Nobody's going to say, no, you're not allowed a new boiler. So why don't we just remove the requirement to have a faculty and allow you to replace the boiler on a like for like basis? That way, if you wanted to make any substantial change that might make a difference to how useful the buildings are or how uh, ecologically friendly they are, you do still have to get permission. But if you're essentially saying we have this boiler, it's broken, we need to get a new one as soon as possible because people are cold, you could just do it. There was also a proposed amendment that said rather than just doing it, it went onto a different sort of category list and you didn't have to get a faculty, but you would have to just check with your archdeacon. Now, that seemed a really sensible proposal to me. Your archdeacon who knows your church a bit, understands the local situation, who could make a recommendation and say, well, some churches have been putting in these boilers that they've found to be uh, more economical or more environmentally friendly, uh, more useful for the way that churches need to use them. I think you should have a look at that, but also could say, no, that's absolutely fine. You need an e-boiler. There isn't really anything else that would be any better. Just go ahead and do it. Anyway, all synod broke loose. And this is because uh, there is a commitment. I believe the the government have made a commitment, but also the Church of England have made a commitment to net zero carbon emissions. And so there was a strong lobby that churches should not be able to replace their boilers like for like, but instead should have to go for something more environmentally friendly, like a heat pump. Anyway, um, I don't think people in the church fully understood everybody else's situation. And this is exactly why we have a general synod that represents people from all kinds of different churches and church buildings and local communities around the country. Because what may be suitable and viable and appropriate for a church in a city centre may not be appropriate or viable for a rural church uh, in a tiny village or for a church that's a listed building or for a church um, built hundreds and hundreds of years ago without any kind of insulation or whatever it is. Um, It's quite exciting uh, whenever we have uh, that sort of legislation in Synod, because that is not about Church of England law. That was about UK law. I mean, it boggles the mind. I don't think Parliament are really very interested in church boilers. But nonetheless, it's just one of those occasional reminders that as the Church of England, um, we are connected with the state Uh, legislation as well and so had that uh, gone through synod it would have then had to go in some way to parliament it was not passed and I think there was a lot of frustration um, felt by those who had really supported that motion largely people in rural parishes as well and yeah if you've ever sat in a church where the heating isn't working you will probably feel frustrated by that as well I I feel, I mean, like I say, I thought the archdeacon uh, idea was a good amendment. I also think that there's a number of those sorts of decisions that perhaps could be left to dioceses to make their own judgment. And some dioceses might be able to say, Do you know, what? it's fine, just replace your boilers. And others might say, no, we think your archdeacon needs to be involved. And others might want to say, well, we just have a lot of buildings where we're a bit concerned. So actually, it's important that we go through the whole process. I'd really like to see less centralised decision making about these kinds of things, to be honest. I think dioceses are where money gets spent on this sort of stuff, dioceses and parishes, and I'd like to see us trusting them to make their own good decisions, really. Anyway, uh, I didn't uh, speak in the chamber at Synod this time, I stood up to speak. Uh, a couple of times. One of the motions that I was really glad that I was there for, again, not really a debate in the sense of people arguing with each other, um, but we were given a little presentation reporting back on setting God's people free. This is an initiative that the Church of England had been doing for about five years to help uh, Christians live out their Christian faith in their ordinary everyday lives. You may be thinking, What's new about that and why do we need an initiative for it? And I agree, in all the churches that I've ever been in, that's been a normal part of church life, helping us to live as Christians in our everyday lives, in our workplaces, our families, our friendships and so on. But there are many churches for whom this seemed like a new idea. And it was really encouraging to hear, again, reports from around the country of different ways in which this scheme had really helped churches uh, and individuals engage with their Christian faith in a new way. We had a wonderful little video uh, reporting on some of these. The stars of the show were undoubtedly uh, Olivia and her younger sister whose name I've forgotten. I think Olivia was about eight and her sister was about six and we heard from their parents as well talking about how they had been encouraged to bring more of the Bible and more of their Christian faith into everyday life. For example, on the way to school each day, is there anything you're worried about today? Let me pray for that. Or uh, praying and reading Bible stories together in the evening. Um, And it was just lovely to hear Olivia saying, I know all the stories in the Bible now. Um, And yeah, just a real life example of a family putting their Christian faith into action a bit more. I stood up to speak in that that debate, just because we'd heard a lot of really great, really encouraging stories like that. And I just wanted to sound a note of caution, I suppose. My only real experience of setting God's people free came at a deanery synod meeting a number of years ago. We had a presentation from someone in the diocese, which was, you know, perfectly good presentation. I don't think it was absolutely um, the most passionate thing I've ever heard, but it, it was a perfectly good presentation. And honestly, at the end of it, I think you could have cut the apathy in the room with a chainsaw. I think I was the only person who asked any questions about it at all. And I do think there's a large number of churches who still have that Churches for Sunday mindset. And living out your Christian faith, that's what the vicar does, mindset. And so I just wanted, I guess, to sound a note of caution to say, I think there is still a long way to go. There's clearly some great stories. It's really good to see that this initiative did have an impact and I hope is continuing to have an impact. But let's not kid ourselves um, that all this work is done. So uh, there were other things as well that happened. We had our first taste of synod group work. Uh, there were supposed to be two group work sessions, one of which was cancelled because the debate about boilers carried on for so long. Uh, but the second one happened and it was it was interesting. We were being presented with two courses, the pastoral principles course, uh, which has been out for a couple of years, I think that you may have heard about and also something called the difference course. And uh, as part of that, we were sort of showing some videos and it was explained to us what the courses were for. And then as part of that, uh, because both courses included a Bible study on John 4, where Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the well, we did a little bit of Bible study in General Synod. So that was exciting. Uh, Somebody uh, went and, and read John 4 to us, Uh, which apparently doesn't happen very often. And those of us with Bibles, or at least phones that we knew how to get our Bibles on, were able to look at that. And we were given uh, a couple of questions to look at together um, and discuss. And I was in a little group that included the Bishop of Oxford. Um, I mean, I think it's fair to say I did most of the talking. Um, but nonetheless, it just felt a really great way to start a day as, on Synod, opening the Bible together and thinking about it together. There was also some uh, really interesting group work using technology I'd not come across before called Sli.do, S-L-I dot D-O, where we were asked a question to think about and then as a way of sort of gathering together all of our answers, you could get the app on your phone and put in your answer, just a sort of one-word answer. And then all the answers came up on the screen in a sort of word cloud so we could see uh, which answers had come up most often and and other answers that come up uh, a bit. And we did that a couple of times. And the particular issue we were discussing wasn't all that interesting, but I, I thought it was useful technology. It'd be great to use you know, even in the middle of a sermon or an evangelistic talk, you know, just a moment to think about an application. How does this relate to you? How does this make you feel? And just gather everybody's answers together in real time up on the screen um, and see how you go. So I I just uh, throw that in there as well. We're looking forward to Lent this year at Church Society. As ever, we'll have a new resource coming for you. This year it will be a weekly video looking at challenges facing the global Anglican Communion today, with contributors from all around the world reflecting on a range of issues. This will be uh, collected together into one video published each week during Lent. Of course we still have many of our resources from previous years available you may wish to look through blog post series on the parish ministry of george herbert the uh, apostles creed the ten commandments and the lord's prayer on the 39 articles and the blessed life looking at the uh, seven deadly sins the beatitudes the fruit of the spirit and jesus final words on the cross Many of these have also been collected into books, which you might find a more convenient way of working through those different devotional readings. You'll find those in the shop on our website. The First Book of Homilies, The Blessed Life, Walk This Way and Foundations of Faith are all set up in this daily format with readings, reflections, questions to think over and prayers. are available in digital and paper formats to suit your preference and your budget. So that was my little bit of church politics last week, but I also was engaged in what we might call political politics. Many of you, I'm sure, saw the uh, minister's response To the government's consultation on uh, banning conversion therapy. Many of you, I know, will have signed your name either to the letter for ministers to sign or the later petition that was open to anyone to sign. We had over two and a half thousand people, over two and a half thousand ministers who signed the letter, and then I think nearly four and a half thousand other people who've signed to say that they were in agreement with it. As a result of that, a number of us who were involved in writing the letter were invited to a meeting with some representatives of the Government Equalities Office who are drafting that legislation. Uh, and uh, conveniently, that invitation was for a meeting during General Synod. The meeting took place in the Department for Education, although, as I say, it was with people from the Equalities Office. And the Department for Education is literally on the other side of the same street as Church House, where General Synod was. So it couldn't have been more convenient. Half a dozen of us were invited to go. Uh, We met with three representatives of the Equalities Office, including the person who had drafted the proposed legislation. And it was a really good meeting. I think they were very receptive to listen to us. They weren't hostile uh, towards us. We were able to explain the issues as we could see them with the way the proposed legislation was written, the kind of things it looked to us like it would ban. And they were able to reassure us that they weren't intending to ban those things. They're not intending to ban ordinary Christian pastoral ministry So that was good, and it was really good to be reassured of that, but they weren't really able to articulate what exactly they did want to ban. So we pointed out that abusive practices that have been used in the past are already illegal. Physical abuse is illegal. Rape is illegal. And also, uh, these days, there is legislation against what we might call emotional abuse, particularly around coercive control. So it wasn't clear to us what exactly was left that they wanted to ban that isn't already illegal. And they were not able to articulate any examples of what that is. They are absolutely committed to banning something. I just don't think they know what that is. And the concern that I continue to have really after that meeting is that they will be... Listening to, of course, LGBT groups who are the ones pushing for this legislation, and they will end up being the ones who get to define what counts as conversion therapy. I am very concerned, therefore, that still, even though it is what they is not what they say they want to do, they may end up with wording that, when it is interpreted in a court of law, will ban some kinds of Christian ministry. Please pray they did indicate that there might be a possibility that uh, as the legislation is rewritten before it gets to Parliament, we'd have a chance to look through that and uh, express any problems with that. Uh, And so do pray that we have the opportunity to do that and try to uh, minimise uh, potential problems before they get to Parliament. And fundamentally, of course, the problem is uh, that there is a different ideology at work they were very clear that they think of sexual identity and gender identity as things which are innate and that any uh, attempt to change them is abusive. I don't think we've had chance quite to push them on whether if that change comes from the person themselves, it's abusive and must be prevented or whether it would be OK to support in that. Um, I think that may still be open for debate. But certainly they felt that calling anybody to change was wrong. And yet, of course, that is the Christian gospel. We're all welcome. Jesus' arms are wide open to all of us to come to him. But we come as sinners and he calls us to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and follow him. It wasn't clear to me by the end of that meeting that they would still be happy for us to continue preaching and teaching that message of deny yourself when you come to Christ. So we're very thankful to have had the opportunity to talk to them. Uh, I wasn't able to go, but others then were able to take the petition and present it at Downing Street. That was then reported on. Some of you may have seen the article uh, in the Sunday Telegraph. Uh, And inevitably that has begun to provoke opposition. So do continue to pray that uh, the voice of uh, orthodox mainstream Christian teaching will be heard and received well by those in government and those around us. And pray that um, the powerful LGBT lobby, including, of course, those who are Christians and those who call themselves Christians, won't be the last word on this um that actually they're misleading when they're saying things that are misleading uh, that that will be seen through uh and um that a good outcome will come from all of that so there's a lot there it was a busy week It was a busy week, uh, but a good week in lots of ways. Uh, It was really great uh, to be at that confirmation with the Bishop of Maidstone. It was really great to get to know and know better more of the evangelicals on General Synod. And there was a real sense of working together, thinking strategically, making a real difference. Um, There are a lot of evangelicals who've been elected to key positions on General Synod, on the business committee, who get to decide what we talk about at Synod, on the appointments committee. The chair of the House of Laity is an evangelical. And there are a lot of evangelicals who are now, particularly those newly elected to Synod, who are now working out what is going to be their role, what is that going to be their issue, where they make a difference, where might they serve on a committee uh, or in some other way. Um, so it's exciting, I think. There is, there is a sense in which Uh, everything is still to play for, I think, on General Synod. One final thing to mention, we, uh, I think, in the House of Laity and both the Convocations, which are the Houses of Clergy for York Province and Canterbury Province, we've all been asked to consider co-opting some additional members to our various uh, Houses on Synod. And this is because of the uh, problem around racial justice. There isn't good representation Of UK minority ethnic people on General Synod. The House of Laity has agreed that we'll co-opt five people. The House of Canterbury, I think, also agreed that they would co-opt, I'm not sure how many people. The House of York didn't yet make a decision. But if you know people in your churches who you think would be good to serve on Synod, who would have a clear understanding of the gospel of Orthodox Christianity, who are committed to the Church of England and are of UK UK minority ethnic heritage. And that is as widely defined, I think, as you want it to be. There's no sort of you've got to meet this sort of requirement or that sort of requirement if you think uh, this person would fit that and they feel that they fit that then they are eligible to apply then do encourage them to consider uh, standing for synod or if that's you yourself consider Um, it's a pretty complicated process the co-option it's not a normal election Um, i think what happens is the standing committee will gather together a group Uh, and ask for nominations. And then I don't know quite what happens then. Anyway, if you're at all interested in that, or as I say, if there's somebody you know who would be at all interested in that, uh, please do let us know at Church Society. uh, And we'd be really happy to put you in touch with people who understand the process a bit better and can explain how you could um, be part of that. In particular, I think if you're somebody who stood for election, but didn't quite make it, this time round, this could be a good way uh, of getting uh, your voice heard on Synod, uh, but not necessarily. You don't have to have stood for election last year uh, to go for this. And I think they have no idea really how many nominations to expect. So it could be that there'll be 50 nominations for five places. It could be that there are six nominations for five places. We just don't know. But, it, you know, if you're willing to serve, then do consider uh, being nominated. And as I say, there are vacancies uh, for this in laity and in clergy. Um, so do you get in touch uh, if you'd like to be part of that. So that was my week. And it felt very much like a week dominated by one of uh, Church Society's five Ps. I don't know if you've heard these before. Our, our goal, our sort of strapline is equipping God's people to live God's word. Uh, We do that particularly, of course, within the Church of England. And we do it by means of five Ps. Prayer, publishing, partnerships, and that's both partnerships with other organisations and also encouraging partnerships uh, amongst our members. Patronage with our Church Society Trust that has a role in uh, patronage in in a number of parishes, around the country and then the fifth P which maybe we don't talk about as much is politics church politics and world politics or more often UK politics engaging with the church and with the world in a way that lets the gospel be heard and lived out and it felt very much like that's what I was doing in synod in the equalities office uh, in all of those conversations and debates uh, in that week it is a thing that is important for us as evangelicals to get involved with, not just to be serving in our own local churches, but to have an eye to the wider church and its engagement with the wider world. That could include all kinds of things. It could simply be praying. And if you would, a church society member and would like to adopt a general synod member to pray for spe- specifically, do get in touch with the office and we'd be glad uh, to give you somebody uh, that you can do that for. It could be writing to your MP to express your opinion on uh, different matters going through Parliament uh, as a Christian. It could be getting involved in a deanery synod and maybe bringing a motion that one day does end up being debated at General Synod. There are all kinds of ways that are appropriate for us to get involved uh, in the the politics of the Church of England uh, to help it grow and flourish in the gospel in years to come. So I hope you enjoyed hearing a bit about my week uh, next time on the podcast you'll get to hear from somebody else I think it's the regional directors who will be talking about uh, ministry on the ground around the country. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Church Society podcast you can find the whole podcast archive on our website churchsociety.org. Don't forget to subscribe to us on your usual podcast app and we'd love it if you are able to leave a review or give us a rating over there as well.